I'm Megan. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to the Travel Mug Podcast. Every episode, we talk about travel destinations, interesting trivia, and even some travel fails. Let's dive into today's episode. Don't forget to travel mug. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Travel Mug Podcast. And as we've said on previous episodes, now is not really like the best time to be traveling, but it is a great time to plan travel. And I know when the borders open up, I want to travel as much and as long as possible. So I've been following Leah and Jeremy from Practical Wanderlust for the last few years, since around like 2017 when I started my travel blog, and I love reading about their adventures. So Leah and her husband started their travel blog back in 2016 while they were on their year-long honeymoon, and she was later able to quit her corporate job to run her travel blog full-time. Amazing. Yeah. And- <laughs> Leah recently wrote the book on how to quit your job and travel. Literally, she wrote the book. Um, And I got to be one of her advanced copy editors. And Leah, I'm so excited to welcome you to the Travel Mug Podcast to chat about long-term travel and your book. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so like thrilled that you got to be part of actually writing the book. That was such a fun process. (laughs) (laughs) It was really fun. Like, I I don't know. It felt like a little commute, like Google Doc (laughs) community in there, just like editing as we went and... uh, Yeah, I'm really happy that I got to be a part of it. Awesome. So I guess I I really, uh, and I'm not, obviously haven't been following you as long as Jen has, and I think for everybody at home listening as well. So really uh, dive in a little bit to this year-long travel idea. Like where did that come from? Talk us through that. That sounds A, amazing, and then B, a lot to think about. (laughs) It is. It is a lot. And it took me actually five years to kind of make it happen after I came up with the idea, I remember like the moment that I came up with it, I had just, I graduated college. I was like this bright eyed, excited young college grad sitting down behind my corporate desk at my big girl job. And just like, I don't know, maybe three hours in, I was like, Oh God, is this it? (laughs) Is this all that I've been working for my entire life? And I'm just like hitting refresh on my emails and just like looking into the abyss of adulthood. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I didn't last very long. Um, <laughs> so I started dreaming about taking a big, long trip because like the summer right after I graduated college, I'd spent, you know, a couple months like backpacking through Europe and well, it wasn't a couple months. It was a couple of weeks, but it felt like a couple months. And I wanted to do more of that. I was like, I really want to do that again because it was my first time staying in hostels and traveling on a budget. And I was like, maybe I can do that for like a while, like longer than two weeks. Maybe I can do it for a few months. And I started dreaming about it while sitting behind my desk, supposed to be working. Um, And it took me five years of just dreaming about it and thinking about it and like eventually starting to make that dream that I had that just, it just like consumed my thoughts and making that into an actual plan and then actually making it a reality. It really did take a long time, which is why I love that you started out by saying, you know, this isn't a great year to travel, but it's a really great year to plan travels in the future. Cause it does, I don't know anybody who can just like, quit their job and travel without like, I'm the planner and I'm super anxious. So I don't know if you can just, you know, cut the cord and go. For me, it took such a long time to make it happen and to plan and work for it. But I just kept dreaming and dreaming about it until I was ready to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I think all of us right now are just dreaming and dreaming and dreaming about Mm -hmm. how how and when we can get back out there. So the next thing I wanted to chat about is 
I loved this part in your book, and it's right in the beginning, but you described long-term travel as a radical act. So can you elaborate on that thought? Yeah, totally. So this, I think, spoke really deeply to this, I think, very American idea of you know, what you're supposed to do, what your ideal life is supposed to look like um, as a Westerner and, and really as an American, you're supposed to really focus on work. Like that's supposed mm-hmm. to be everything, you know, who you are is what you do. You're supposed to have a stable job. You're supposed to buy a house, settle down, have kids. There's like these, these things that you're supposed to do as an adult. And to sort of throw that all away, even if it's temporarily, even if it's just for a year, like it was for me, or even a summer to throw it all away, quit your job and take off to go see the world feels like something really radical in our Mm -hmm. culture. It's just not something that is seen as a normal and expected passage of, you know, something that you would do, even though it's, it's really common in other cultures to do that. It means that you're taking time off of your career. You're putting work on hold, which is like horrifying in a lot of ways to (laughs) to this idea that like work is supposed to be everything. It means embracing unknown things, um, different cultures, different perspectives, and it means going way out of your comfort zone. So you're rejecting like material comforts, which is supposed to be the whole point, right? Just buy the nice house and have the good, the big TV and the comfy couch. But travel is really uncomfortable. It's a lot of like, you know, hostels and bumpy roads and not understanding what the heck's going on (laughs) and really embracing all of that uncomfortable thing. And there's also, I think this kind of pervasive fear that doing something like this, taking this huge, scary step is going to ruin your life. I mean, it sounds so dramatic, but really that's, that was my fear for so many years. And I kept pushing my trip back, waiting for this kind of perfect time to do it. And I didn't, honestly, I don't know that I would have done it if I didn't have somebody to go along with me. I kind of like corralled my husband to go along with me. And I was like, it's going to be a honeymoon. It'll be so great. But I really thought I was so afraid. I woke up the first day of our trip and I was like, oh my God, I just ruined both of our lives. Nobody's ever going to hire us again. We're going to like spend all of our money. We're never going to find a place to live. I'll never have a stable life again. And that was my big fear. And of course, you know, it, it wasn't true. I was, per- I was able to come back and like, I'm a person and I function, you know, and I have a stable life, but it was so, so scary because it was, it's really like taking everything that you think that you're, you're supposed to do and turning it on its head and doing the opposite for a time or for the rest of your life potentially. And it's really, really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it- It sounds, it does sound scary. And I think, you know, Canada isn't that much different from the U.S. in terms of like what life is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So I can see definitely where that term radical, it would seem that way to people here too. Yeah. Um, But it sounds terrifying, but it also sounds amazing. And so I think, (laughs) so I think to transition from that, then I guess, you know, the next big question might be like, how did you decide where to go? That was such a, that's like the fun part about sitting at your desk and dreaming, right? Like while you're still imagining, that's when you get to just go on like Instagram and Pinterest and look at travel blogs and like find all these like magical places in the world and just picture yourself there. And for me, I kind of wanted to go places that first of all, I needed them to be affordable because, you know, wasn't going to have a huge amount of money to spend on this. So I wanted to stick to places that were kind of like backpacker routes. There's sort of these traditional backpacker routes that, um, you know, ever since backpacking became a thing in around the sixties, they've kind of been the tried and true 
routes. So there's like the banana pancake trail in um, Southeast Asia, and there's the gringo trail in South America and places like that, where even like my dad of all people, which he's, if you would have met him at this point in his life, you would never guess this, but he he was a cool backpacker in the sixties. And he like hit the road with his backpack and like a VW van and like went around Europe and Southeast Asia. And I was like, yeah, that's super cool. Like I want to do that, but I wanted to have sort of a backpacker community. Um, for me, I get really anxious. I mean, generally I get anxious, but I get anxious about the idea of like going too far off the beaten path to where you're the only tourist. Because then it's like, not only do you, you don't really know if you're going to have somewhere to stay. You don't know if you're going to meet anybody who's going to be able to like talk to you in your language. And you might actually be going into places where you're not totally welcome. So Mm -hmm. I try to stay on more of the beaten path places that aren't necessarily like, you know, major cities. And that's kind of the perfect balance that these traditional backpacker routes are really good for. They've got a great community of hostels set up and networks for meeting other travelers. Um, There's usually things that are catering to tourists, you know, the specific things that you want to do when you show up in a place. So for me, I like, I was like, okay, do I want to do the Man and Pancake Trail, Southeast Asia, or start in South America? And it really just came down to like flight prices and the fact that this was Spanish. (laughs) So that's what I picked. I picked South America and that's what we went with. That's awesome. Um, I feel like right now in the episode, people are like, uh, yeah, this sounds like amazing, but like, how can I even afford to do this? And you guys know, I love chatting about finances. That's like half of my blog is personal finance. So Leah, do you have any like tips on saving for such a big and long trip? Cause it does seem daunting to people. It totally is. And it's so hard to give that kind of advice because I think the the tempting thing is to just be like, you know, cut stuff out from your life, right? Like Mm -hmm. cut out your your daily Starbucks. But if you're somebody who's like, I don't go to Starbucks every day because I don't have money to go to Starbucks (laughs) every day, that's the issue here, then that's just not helpful advice, right? So I approached it in kind of a very spreadsheety way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that makes sense. So my first step was I needed to know how much I needed to save before I could even start thinking about how am I going to afford this? How much do I actually need? So I did a whole bunch of research about, you know, once I'd figured out where I wanted to go and I knew for me, it was going to be South America. I did some research on what average costs are like in South America. Um, And there there are some really good resources online that will help with this. One of the ones that I like is called budgetyourtrip.com. And it really just allows you to say, hey, I'm a budget traveler or I'm a like luxury or mid-range traveler. How much on average is it going to cost to go to these places? So I think at the time it was something like $1,000 a month for one to two people. Like there there were sort of actual tangible numbers. So I took those numbers And I kind of, you know, made up a spreadsheet of how long I wanted to spend in each place until I had a total amount. And then I took that total amount and I tried to figure out, okay, how long is it going to take me to save up for it if I can save $100 a month? How long will it take me if I can save $200 a month, right? And just working backwards. And that told me how many years I would actually have to do this. Because for me, like I said, it was five years. It's just not a quick process. And the more that you're able to save, obviously, the faster you can make that a reality. But for me, five years felt the most doable. I think there were a lot of things, you know, when I first started, I was just trying to put money away. I had um, travel as like a permanent section of my budget. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I like opened a savings account and I literally would put money into it on a schedule every week. 
Um, there's like, there's a tool or a bank, an online bank called Smarty Pig that was really helpful. I don't even know if it's still around, <laughs> but at the time it was great. But you could, you know, you could put money into a shoebox, anything like that, and just have it be on a schedule every month. This is how much I need to save. And I had to cut a bunch of stuff out. And this is, this is the same kind of advice, but for me, I kind of made some maybe more extreme decisions that I was, I was fortunate enough to make. Um, I got rid of my car. It actually wasn't intentional. We totaled the car, but then I decided not to get a new car afterwards. So I will just call that getting rid of my car. Sure. So I was taking public transportation everywhere. I was biking everywhere, uh, walking everywhere. You know, I stopped, I didn't have cable TV, stopped eating out all those kind of typical, like if you're being, you know, very careful with your budget, sorts of things. And then on the flip side, I tried to earn more money to help Mm -hmm. go towards that goal. So everybody talks about having a side hustle. There are so many side hustles that you can do. Um, I also started working on earning credit card points and miles specifically Mm -hmm. for travel that can really add up fast. Um, if you've got a, you know, a healthy credit card score, and that's something I talk about in the book too, is how to build up that credit card score so you can qualify for those miles because those can really make a big dent. And then there's also a lot of travel scholarships out there too that you can apply for, especially if you're a younger traveler that can help you pay for it. So all of those things together. And it's like, it's not an easy, I have a whole big section in the book because <laughs> it's really such a meaty subject. And I think that's the barrier to entry for a lot of people. Once you get over the initial terror that it's going to ruin your life, it's like <laughs> the next problem to solve is how the heck do I pay for this? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that if you're doing all of those things, being patient with yourself too. And also, I mean, maybe this is a counterintuitive tip, but as you're saving, like also let yourself enjoy it. Cause it's no fun to be miserable for five years just so you can enjoy this trip. Like <laughs> let yourself be, you know, enjoy some eating out and enjoy some, you know, splurge on a zip car once in a while, <laughs> make it easy for yourself um, while you're doing it. And that'll help make it a lot more sustainable as you're waiting too. Definitely. We, we also, we have a whole podcast episode. I think it's our second episode, Megan, all about saving for travel. But I know like for us, like we're a one car household and always have been. Um, It's a little bit more difficult to go zero car, especially I live in a town of like 2000 people right now that has no Mm -hmm. public transportation. (laughs) So that would be difficult, but there's definitely a lot of things you can do. And especially when you're looking at housing and um, transportation, because that's a big chunk of a lot of people's budget. And if you can cut Mm -hmm. back there and then plus earning more is something that a lot of people don't talk about when they're talking about saving money. They're like, cut, 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 cut. But like on the other side, uh, you can also earn more money and that's going to make things go a whole lot faster. Totally. And I, I'm really glad you brought this up too. The housing piece of it is huge. Like I, mm-hmm. I tried to live in the smallest place that I could. And then, you know, here in the Bay area, we are fortunate that we have public transportation. So it was mm-hmm. really possible for me to go car free, but it's also really common to get roommates and you can share where you're living with like, you know, three other adults, right. Or maybe your partner that you're with. So once I met my husband, like things started to add up a little bit faster too. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you go, you know, the, the longer it takes you to plan your trip, it is very possible and likely that you might start earning more at your job too. And that all can go to your travel fund. Yeah, exactly. And for us, we're also, um, a one car household. We have an, we live in an apartment building that's probably 25 years old and there are so many nicer, newer apartments in Halifax, but we'd also be paying seven or $800 a month more than what we do now. So for us, and we don't have children. So for us, the priority is like, 
do I want a center island in my kitchen with a granite countertop or do I want to go on to, do I want to travel? So I think it is about making those decisions about whatever's important for you and mm-hmm. cutting where you can. But I like what you said too, about, you know, you're spending so much time saving and that if you don't splurge once in a while, even if it's just to eat out or whatever the case might be, you're taking all the fun out of what you're doing now, mm-hmm. you know, for the fun later. And I think that that that's a shame. So budgeting in those little treats every now and then could be super helpful as well. So, you know, five years to plan anything is a really long time. So I'm sure over that time frame, you probably built up in your head about what this trip is going to look like. What's this year long honeymoon going to be? So talk to us a little bit. I know it's, it's obviously a lot you could discuss, but sort of talk to us about how things went versus maybe how you envisioned them in your head. Oh my gosh. I totally had this like idea. I had this vision of me on a beach, probably doing yoga and like drinking a smoothie. And I looked nothing like myself (laughs) and I was like super fit and really tan. And I kind of just like pictured myself as like an Instagram person. Right. (laughs) And none of that happened. It was like, I thought that I would become a different person through travel. People talk about, you know, you find yourself right while you're traveling. And what I found about myself is that I am, I am pretty much exactly who I am at home, except for in different places. Uh, So I don't, I did not become the person that I thought that I was going to be, but what I did gain through it is, is acceptance of that. Right. So I never, I I think I woke up to do yoga at sunrise a total of one time. uh, And it was awful. I hated it. (laughs) I was like, okay, so I'm not the person who does that. I'm the person who sleeps in every other day, like all 364 other days of my year long trip. I slept in until 10 AM and it was awesome. That's really what I wanted to get out of this. Uh, (laughs) I just didn't know it. I didn't realize. So for me, it was this journey of not necessarily well, kind of self-discovery, but more self-acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't who I thought I wanted to be, but I was the person I already was. And, and I realized that that was okay. There were also a lot of things that I, I had just planned them, not, you know, like just thinking that they, that I would do them (laughs) and like, they actually all went terribly, terribly wrong. And that was, that's another (laughs) thing I really learned about myself on this trip is that I'm incredibly disaster prone and clumsy. And, and that, that has just followed me everywhere that I went. So we had planned sort of a series of progressively more difficult hikes and adventures because I was like, oh, I'm going to be super adventurous. I'm going to South America. I'm going to jump off of waterfalls and I'm going to hike the W track in Patagonia. <laughs> and I didn't end up doing most of them. I would try and try and I would just either realize that I didn't enjoy them. So for instance, the waterfall thing, this happened like three weeks into my trip. We went to um, to this waterfall in Colombia, which is like super, super tall and super enormous and loud. And you're supposed to rappel off of it. And then it's supposed to be this really fun adventure and super safe. And I got there and I think I got about a step down and I just started screaming uncontrollably and I couldn't stop until somebody rescued me. <laughs> and that was the, the first adventure that I really tried. And I realized that I, I don't enjoy these adventures at all. It took me like another six months to stop going on them and thinking I was going to have a good time. But now I just, I just know, I just don't like those things. Um, and then we also kept doing these really challenging hikes because, you know, at home in California, 
I was a hiker. I would go hiking every, every week. Um, and I enjoy it, but I'm very slow at it. Not like a very good hiker. I just like it. And so we would do these hikes in South America that were like really challenging altitude and really challenging terrain. And in one case, it was like a three day long hike where there weren't really any marked paths. We were just sort of like wayfinding in the Andes and Ecuador with like llamas. And we got really lost and we ended up like crawling up our hands and knees into somebody's house. And like, it was so awful. (laughs) And then, uh, and then we got to Machu Picchu and we're supposed to do the four day Inca trail. Cause these, these are the things you do when you go to South America. right? So I was just going to do them. And so we were about a day into our Inca trail hike and we're about two hours behind everybody else. We like roll into our camp at, late at night and our guide was like, okay, you either have to like start at four in the morning tomorrow or just go home. And so we just turned around and hiked back and took the train to Machu Picchu. And we were like, okay, maybe, maybe we aren't these people. Um, and so we made a lot of changes to our itinerary at that point. We actually ended up like we had planned several months more of this. And we decided to uh, to end our time in South America and fly to Europe during Christmas market season um, to drink wine and eat croissants, which was a much better fit for us. So I had all of these like ideas in my head about who I was going to be and the kind of travel I was going to do and the adventures I was going to have. And then I had to really allow myself to not enjoy things, to try things and fail at them and to change my itinerary so that we were kind of having a better time. And I think all of those things are so valid. There's so many ways to travel and they don't all have to be perfect and they don't all have to be amazing and life-changing. So embracing that kind of failure and imperfection to me was, that was my journey of self-discovery. And that's really what I needed from that trip that, that it gave me. Right. And I think for me, like, and I'm a huge planner, so I could see me spending five years and like envisioning sort of like what you've mentioned. And I probably am similar. Like I have these ideas of what I would want to do and who I am. And then I would get there and be like, I'm not woman enough for this. Like I'm just not made for this. And, and coming to terms with that, like, how did you do that piece? Because I think for me, letting go of something I had my heart set on And then admitting, okay, it has to be okay that this isn't me. Like, was that a longer process for you? Or were you just sort of like, no, like I need to be fine with this. It was a long and painful process. It it was forcing myself to do these things and thinking that I just hadn't, you know, I just hadn't like grown as a person enough yet or whatever, forcing myself to do them over and over and over and just failing and failing and having to get rescued and getting ear infections. Like every time I went whitewater rafting, I got an ear infection. It was horrible. And like over and over again and losing money on hikes and all of these things before I finally had to just accept that it wasn't going to be me. And it took probably like five months of travel before I just let myself accept that. And also learns to embrace that I don't have to do those things. And the other piece of it too is, um, you know, I was traveling with my husband. We had just gotten married. This was our honeymoon. And he kind of had almost the opposite experience where he realized that he loved the adventures and he really enjoyed them. So he was like, let's go whitewater rafting. It's going to be so much fun. And I'd be like, oh, great. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so we both had to like develop the understanding that he could drag me on these things and I would go on them, 
but I would be miserable. And because I was miserable, he would have a miserable time. So we also had to like learn to kind of cut the cord a little bit and he could go and do his crazy adventures and canyoning and rafting and all these things. And I would be at home, you know, in the hostel wrapped in a blanket by the fire and enjoying myself so much more. And it just took so many tries for us to figure that out. I wish we would have figured it out a lot sooner, but we got there eventually. (laughs) Awesome. It must have been different, like traveling with a new husband, like, cause you guys hadn't been together that long before you got married. Is that correct? Yeah. No, not really. Yeah. We got engaged on our one year anniversary. I was, yeah. we, we knew very early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like figuring that out together that, and it, it took my husband and I a while too. Like my husband and I are big Disney people and I, there's like certain rides at Disney that I'm like, I won't go on those because I will be sick for the rest of the day. And he would be like, oh, I won't, like, I just won't go on them if you don't want to. And like, finally, like the last two trips, I was like, I am fine getting a freaking Dole Whip and standing mm-hmm. here and people watching while you go on that mm-hmm. ride. Like, I'm fine. And he's like, oh, okay. And then so he could go and enjoy those things and I'd enjoy my Dole Whip. Exactly. Everybody's a perfect example. Yeah. (laughs) No, we had to really develop a lot of communication. And it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those unique things about traveling with a partner versus traveling solo. I'm really not a traveling solo person. Um, I'm just way too prone to getting lost and anxious. So (laughs) my husband and I, like we we are actually really good travel companions, but it's like all of our communication skills have developed through the challenging times. It's not like, we're not like frolicking around the beach being like, oh my gosh, this is great. Our marriage is so good. It's like, we're screaming at each other, you know, on a bus in the middle of the night quietly to not wake everybody else. And like, you know, what we learned is like, you know, there's always like three things wrong. One of us is either hungry or tired or overwhelmed. So we Mm -hmm. learned to like have these check-ins with each other. Like I would just always carry around a snack. And if one of us started getting cranky, I was like, try this first. And after (laughs) you eat this, tell me again what the problem is. Right. Um, And sometimes we would just need to go and sit somewhere for a while or just go and, you know, be in quiet for a while. And we had to learn really to not take things personally. Mm -hmm. Um, When we would be cranky or snippy with one another, it wasn't, you know, that we were angry with each other. It was just like, I'm just really tired and overwhelmed and travel is hard. Yeah. So it was like learning to not take things so personally. Mm-hmm. And every time things were disappointing, learning to laugh at that and roll with it and just enjoy even the stupid mistakes that we made. Um, like the Inca trail, you know, I, <laughs> that was really, that was a really bad one. We were so disappointed, but it, I still laugh at it because the night before our Inca trail hike, there was like an omen from the universe. My husband's like hiking pants disappeared in the wash. And I was like, we shouldn't do this. You're hiking. What are you going to hike in? Like, we can't do this. And he like gave me this whole speech. He was like, we can totally do this. And there was like music in the background. And then like, I think I said, I told you so like a thousand times, like over the last five years, that's all I've been saying is, oh my God, I told you so. And like, so learning to laugh at these kinds of things together, will like for us, it makes us feel closer together instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, turning to each other when things go wrong and just saying, this is just typical, like this this is just us, you know, and and that makes it so much more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I think the times that I've felt like the closest, close, most connected with my husband is while we've been on trips too. And it's, I don't know, it's just a whole different level. I feel like when you're Mm -hmm. out in the world in a place that you both don't know well. It's just yeah. yeah, you become problem solvers together. Yeah. And you're tackling challenges together. 
And, you know, that's now that we're back home and everything is settled, like, because we've gone through these crazy experiences together, I just know that I can rely on him for every small little thing and he'll, he'll be there. And it really does translate back into coming back home and having that closer connection. I like to say that travel is our love language. Like that's (laughs) really how we, how we bond and connect best is when we're traveling. Yeah. So speaking of back home, like how did things change when you came back home? I know you changed a job career completely, but um, so you didn't really go back to your life as if you ever, as if you never left. <laughs> you know, but I, I tried. I really tried. Yeah. I guess maybe I hadn't learned that lesson about listening to who I really am. But <laughs> no, I went back home and I had really, I had always told myself, like, you get one year and then you got to go back, right? Mm-hmm. And I got home. My husband had missed his job the whole time. He's a teacher and he missed his kids. And he was like, we would be like, you know, lying in a hostel late at night and I'd be working on a blog post and he'd be like lesson planning, even though he wasn't actually teaching anybody. And he was so excited to go back to school. So he goes right back to his old job, like didn't miss a beat. And he's been teaching there ever since. For him, it was actually a really life affirming thing that it, it made him reconnect to teaching by stepping back and really missing it. And he Mm -hmm. returned more invigorated that he was in the right career. And for me, it was the exact opposite. I got back home and I had left my career at a point where I could pick it back up and I applied to some jobs. And I even was interviewing for some kind of dream positions, things that were a step up, higher pay, better salary. And I just realized, like, I just didn't want to. Like I would go to these interviews and I would go back home or I would read an offer letter and I would just be like, I don't really want to do this. I was just dragging my feet and I kind of tried to buy time. It took me about six months of doing this, dragging my feet, <laughs> buying time. I got a temp job and so I was working and I had an income and I was at least saving up some money, but I was just like dipping my feet back into it before really committing and it just didn't feel right. So I decided that I wanted to try doing what my heart was really telling me I wanted to do, even though it wouldn't, like I was, I'm the breadwinner for our family. I always had been, even when I first met my husband. And even though we wouldn't be making as much money and I didn't really know if we would be making anywhere near as much money as I had at my old corporate job, I just knew that I had to like try this and take this risk Mm -hmm. or I would regret it forever, which is honestly what I had felt about the year long honeymoon too. I just knew I needed to try long-term travel or I was going to regret it for the rest of my life. So I gave myself, I gave myself another deadline. So you can try blogging for a year, see if you can make any money off of it. Cause I didn't even know if it was a thing. I didn't know if you could blog as a job. And then if a year passes, you have to just put on your big girl pants and go back to work. Like you just have to. So I told my husband, my plan, I had him on board. He was really scared to be the breadwinner for like the, you know, few months that he ended up having to do it. But having that like permission to follow my passion um, ignited something under me, under me, like really lit a fire. And I just like hit it hard and kept going. And that's been my job ever since. And it was, it was another huge risk. And I think that the risk, having that risk kind of under my belt for the first time had helped me to realize that like taking these risks really can pay off and learning through this process of that year long journey that I needed to really accept who I was, stop trying to force myself into these roles that didn't fit you know, I was trying to do that on the honeymoon, trying to force myself into this adventurous, like traveling backpacker role that I really am not. (laughs) And I got back home and I tried to force myself back into this 
corporate role that really wasn't a good fit for me. So finally, I, I just learned to accept that that's maybe not a good fit for me. Maybe I'm just not supposed to be this like, you know, corporate, like high paying, dressing up every day kind of person. And that's okay. It's not, a, it's, it's okay to have an alternative kind of career and lifestyle and job. And giving myself that permission was really the best thing that came out of the year long honeymoon and, and honestly has lasted to this day, like five years later. That's awesome. It is indeed. Uh, so talking about your year long honeymoon, can you pick a favorite destination or memory, or is it probably too difficult to pick just one from an entire <laughs> year of travel? There were, so there are two destinations that really stuck out. The first one was our very first destination. And I don't know if it just stuck out because it was the first one and everything was so new and different, but it's just this, the place that vibed with us so deeply. And it was Colombia in South America. And I'd been once before and that's why I went back. Cause I was like, okay, I kind of know it a little bit. Like I've been there right? and we just loved it. There's this kind of pervasive, like, vibe for lack of a better term and because I'm from California um <laughs> and it's this essence of like tranquilo so they say this all the time tranquilo tranquilo like, it's cool it's chill calm down and that like we needed to like find a tranquilo mm-hmm. and we found it in Colombia like it took us so long to just not be on like constant high stress and edge like 24 7 because when you're thrust into a travel situation, you know, it can really get you at like hundred percent really. And we're both those kinds of people <laughs> and the slowness of the culture and everybody just kind of that we interacted with so friendly and welcoming and the diversity of the places that we went. I mean, there's everything in Colombia. There's um, Caribbean beaches and mountains and farms and vineyards and, and just everything uh, and coffee fields. And it was just the place that we like eased into it. Mm-hmm. And we've been back like five times since then because we just love it so much. And it's, it kind of ends up feeling like our little home away from home. Yeah. And then the other place that we loved was the Galapagos Islands, which was just like, there's just animals everywhere and everything yeah. is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so my, that was definitely yeah. because of the animals. Yes. I mean, that would be amazing. My husband, I actually, I haven't been to South America, but it's definitely on our list. But my husband went to Ecuador with his best friend um, when he graduated university and you know, just graduating, budget, budget. They couldn't go to the Galapagos. And he's like that. I regret that so much that I couldn't have scraped that money together to do it, but I'm sure we'll be there at some you know, point. It, it, it's true. It's really a, like an outlier because South America is pretty cheap, but the Galapagos are really expensive. And for yeah. us, it really was, I think it was the most expensive week of our whole trip. Yeah. And I had a couple of like credit card points that I used for the flights and I didn't even realize, I thought you had to take a cruise to visit the Galapagos, but it turns out that you can actually just like hostel hop from island to island and take ferries, oh, okay. which is so much cheaper. Yeah. So we kind of just like, we had these flights from credit card points and we just showed up and then figured it out, which was like definitely the last <laughs> time that I've tried doing that because it was a little <laughs> scary, but you can just do that there. You just show up and somebody will point you to a hostel or a hotel down the street and like help you book stuff and we just figured it out. We have, we do have a guide on our site and I'm sure it's changed over the years since we've been, but that's like the one place where I've been wanting to go back and do it again, like ever since. It's yeah. really an amazing place. If you can ever make it happen, it's, it's pretty awesome. We'll be oh, there I someday. Hope, yeah. <laughs> I hope to, I definitely hope to, uh, to make that happen for sure. So obviously, uh, the elephant in the room in regards to travels, the last year we've just experienced 
So um, what has this last year uh, been like for you and your husband in regards to travel or, or how have you sort of kept that going in your life? Yeah. So like everybody else, last year has sucked. Um, <laughs> you know, it's for me, the, the most difficult part, like, so since coming back and, and deciding to give travel blogging full-time a try, um, the blog has really, really grown and it's no longer just me flying away on my little laptop in the middle of the night. Um, I have a team of people helping me to run the travel blog. And the scariest part for me was watching our, our income on the blog dwindle to nothing as everybody stops traveling. Mm-hmm. And so not only was the world was changing and I'm afraid for myself, my security and my health and my family's health and every, like everything was so scary. And also I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay my own salary. And also I have 10 other people that are relying on me to help them. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I spent like two months just crying. <laughs> like just <laughs> like that's all I did. I would go for walks and like look at plants and then I would just go home and cry. <laughs> and <laughs> it took me a little while to kind of like decide that I could either continue being depressed and sad um, and, you know, I don't know, just like letting it all really get to me or I could really try my hardest to be a leader. And so I kind of ended up spending the time that I was home because usually I'm traveling a lot of the time for the blog and having all this time at home, I tried to really use it as a gift Mm -hmm. and spend more time working on my business instead of working in my business. So really trying to embrace that leadership role. And so that to me has been the best thing to come out of the pandemic is that I finally feel like I'm a CEO of a business instead of a travel blogger with a team of people helping. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, you know, I still am, but I I'm feeling a little bit more like a CEO now. So that actually ended up being really positive and that's been the best part of it. Um, but other than that, I mean, we, we didn't leave our house <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or like that, you know, that's what I was doing at home, but we weren't going anywhere. We weren't doing anything. We started taking walks in our hometown in Oakland. Um, like taking walks became like our version of travel. We would go to new mm-hmm. neighborhoods and like we went to grocery stores and then we would go to like the, the like ethnic foods aisle and like <laughs> buy random stuff and like make other, you know, make like a meal out of it. Yeah. Um, and that was the closest that we really got to travel up until recently. We were able to both get vaccinated in the last couple of months. Um, and things are, things are really starting to open back up here. The California has been a lot slower than the rest of the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, school is not back in session. Um, my husband is working from home with me, which is actually kind of nice because it feels like our honeymoon again. Um, but we're able to like go sit outdoors at a restaurant right now. And mm-hmm. that's really exciting. And we did take our very first trip last month after we were both fully vaccinated to Hawaii. Uh, and that was amazing. And I think it's given me this appreciation for travel that I, I had started to sort of, you know, sometimes if you're doing something a lot, it can start to feel exhausting instead of exciting. That's actually mm-hmm. something that happens to me on our, on our long-term trip too, is going from place to place without giving us sufficient time to stop and be settled and then like look forward to the next place was mm-hmm. exhausting. And I was making the same mistake as a travel blogger, just going from trip to trip. So being able to stop and like focus on what's important to me, realizing that, you know, this, this travel business that I've created and sharing travel with other people was the most important thing to me, doubling down on that um, has given me this gift of appreciation. I think that I, that I really needed. So that was really positive, even though it sucked. <laughs> but I've been trying to find that silver lining. Yeah. Haven't we all? 
All right. Any final words of wisdom that you want to impart on our listeners that are thinking, hey, I think I want to do some long-term travel. Um, I think for me, the most important thing that I needed to hear and that I always tell other people is if you're, if you're trying to make this dream happen, first of all, give yourself permission for it to not happen anytime soon. Um, give yourself permission to kind of hold on to it and not tell anybody if you're not ready yet. Because mm-hmm. I think for me, like telling other people made it seem, I don't know, scarier. And like, I just wanted to keep it secret for a while until I had yeah. actually booked some stuff. And try to accept that it may not be perfect and do your best to look at that as a good thing, which is so hard. (laughs) It's so hard to do, but that that imperfection and having those experiences, you're not necessarily going to know exactly what that trip is going to teach you, but it will teach you something. It'll teach you a lesson that you need to know. And probably it'll teach that lesson through the hardships and the challenges, <laughs> not through the, you know, beautiful sunrises and, and all that great Because Travel is wonderful, but you learn through the, the challenges and the difficult times um, the most. And so give yourself that permission to have that imperfect trip and to have it not be like it looks on Instagram and not be like you thought it was going to be. And know that that is exactly what travel is. Travel is deeply uncomfortable and deeply challenging. And that is what makes it such a beautiful and important thing to do. Yes. I love that. that. So as we said, uh, Leah, you literally wrote the book on this. So where can people grab their copy? It's called How to Quit Your Job and Travel. Yes. So you grab it on Amazon. Uh, it's available both as a digital copy and a physical hard, uh, not hardback. I wish it was a hardback, paperback. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and I can, you know, I can give you a link for that as well. Definitely. Um, I've also got some blog posts on my site, Practical Wanderlust, um, where, you know, if you're not quite ready to buy a book on exactly how to quit your job and travel, and you just want to know what was it like, um, I've got a post called things nobody tells you about quitting your job to travel that I think is really fun, even if you're just like, what if at this point in your life? So definitely go give, go check that out. Yes. I think, um, Leah, it's funny. The first blog post I believe I ever read of yours was, um, talking about your Machu Picchu experience, which just like hooked me into you. I mean, like, okay, <laughs> I love this girl. Like, cause that is what would happen to me. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, I'm so glad to hear you say that. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. Um, So we'll put a a link to the book um, and your social media account in the show notes, because if you're not already following her, you definitely should be, because she has an adorable, floofy dog named Mulan, which, I mean, how could you not go look at a cute dog? Love it. It is very cute. Um, (laughs) And one thing I did want to mention, too, is that it's been a little while since we've posted an episode, but we also have a podcast, and I would love... If you're like into podcasts and travel and things, we'd love to have you over on the Practical Wanderlust podcast too. Yeah, there's definitely some fun travel stories that you share over there too. I love those. Uh, So thanks so much everyone for tuning in today. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Travel Monk Podcast. And we want to know, are you planning a year-long trip? So let us know. Bye everyone. Bye. Thanks, Leah.